Open your Bibles up back to the book of James this morning. James in chapter 5 is where we will be. And uh, as many of you know, the Lord's been kind of working throughout the book of James over the last several months uh, uh, within this year. I've been excited about bringing this message to the forefront and do hope and pray that it is a blessing to you. So James in chapter 5, looking at verse... Save lives from a dangerous environment. And there are many people in our world today who are in troublous times. They are in dangerous circumstances and even deadly situations. And somehow, some way, life has caused or enabled or lured or even driven them to wander away from God. Now, some circumstances of life may have been completely 100% unavoidable, while as others were a result of their own personal wrong choices. Nevertheless, they are where they are. They are away from God. And in the book of James, as we've said multitudes of times throughout this uh, this summer and whenever we started looking at the book, uh, it's a unique book in its teachings in many ways. And we know that it's considered a general epistle. It's not written to one particular church. It is directed by way of principle to the Christians. We understand that it's written to the 12 tribes of, of Israel. Those are 12 tribes that are saved and born again. They are Christians. They are saved. And uh, we understand that from the first chapter. But within the words of this letter, no one can really hide. Because it is general, it's kind of like a shotgun blast. And it's just a spread shot, and it hits everything that is in front of it. So in other words, it hits us from a practical standpoint, as well as a principal aspect. So chapter 1 of the book of James is earmarked by faith and growing uh, through trials, as well as how to react in the midst of temptation. We're all tempted in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Some of us are tempted every day, every minute, every hour. Maybe it's every week, every month. But we all face temptations. And, and chapter 1 of the book of James reveals how we are to react in the midst of those temptations. Chapter 2 is, is pretty much earmarked uh, by the royal law and how to treat those around you, namely your fellow believers. And then chapter 3, we, we learn how to communicate. It deals with our communication, the effectability of our communication, why it's important, and why the lack of communication is so detrimental in our world today. Chapter 4, as we heard in the last sermon before we were away, deals with worldliness as well as its cure. But when we get to chapter 5, there's a broader responsibility that we find in chapter 5 that's placed on the believer. And within the church body specifically. 
It begins to reveal a responsibility that we have one to another, and namely those of believers who have stepped away from the Lord. The ones who have followed the way of the world. The ones who have gone after other things. Now, this is an area, guys, if I'm just uh, playing with you this morning, this is an area that I have always struggled with. I am not a big cobbler. I know that comes to probably uh, your shock and surprise that I'm not a, I like to cuddle with her, but I don't like to coddle people. I mean, I'm not a big cobbler. Uh, personally, I, I'm not cut from the cloth, which makes it natural for me to be understanding, to unfaithfulness. I don't get it. Jesus Christ died for you. You can't come to his church when the doors are open. Really? So I'm, no, I, I, I struggle in coddling those who are unfaithful or the lack of giving or weak Christianity or excuses. That is my struggle. The lack of discipline is a plague within the church today, and it has been for decades, guys. It's one of the reasons we're in the state that we're in. It's one of the reasons society is the position it is in. This is why so many who claim Christ are still in the same place they were 10 and 20 years ago, living according to their feelings, justifying their sin, and everything else of why they don't lock in and lock down to serving God faithfully. Amen. Nevertheless, whether I struggle with it or not, I am still commanded, whether it goes against my natural uh, abilities, my nature, my, what does not matter because this is what reigns supreme, this book right here. I'm still commanded to look out within the church and find those who need saving from themselves, just as you are as well. These people are needing someone who has the wherewithal and the care to save someone's life, to rescue people who are drowning, rescue people who are in dangerous environments by stepping away from God. I was a lifeguard when I was a teenager growing up in Florida. And I, I guess teenager a little bit in my 20s as well. And uh, one of the things they taught us when we were lifeguards is they said that lifeguarding is 99% boredom <laughs> and 1% terror. And it's true, guys. I mean, because... Uh, much of what will happen in the saving of someone's life and drowning usually is a result of their own ill choices. So there's a lot of times you're sitting there in the chair or you're sitting there up on your stoop and you're watching and you're panning and you're looking back and you're looking back and it is boring. But there's that 1% of terror when somebody makes that mistake, that ill choice, and they go out there, they get caught up in the riptide and they get out there and they bang their head on the concrete side and then you've got to be called into action. I was doing a little bit of research and found out that the major contributor to drowning is the inability to swim. You know, that's a, that's a fixable issue. A fixable issue. For the majority of the people, and especially our first world today, you can choose to learn how to swim if you want to. And that will eliminate the fact, or at least decrease the chances of you drowning. Alcohol is involved in approximately 50% of fatal drownings and 35% of non-fatal drownings. People have drowned in as little as 30 millimeters of water while it's facing down. And did you know it only takes one tablespoon of water inside the lungs to cause you to drown? Does that take much? It's a horrible, horrible way to die, though. But even though most drownings are a result of someone's ill choices, you know what, guys? When you're a lifeguard and you're sat there on that stoop and you're in your little red, you know, 
underwear or whatever you want to call them, shorts, and you got your little buoy on your shoulder and you got your little zinc oxide underneath your eyes and, you know, you're playing the part. Even though the, the reason they're in that water drowning and screaming for help, you know what? They still need someone to save their lives, whether it's their fault or whether it's not. And if we choose not to save our following Christians, our fallen Christians, we become guilty of negligence or willful ignorance at the very least. Jesus teaches the church is more than singing, more than praying, more than preaching. We are to be rescuers. We are to be involved in the lives of others. James is closing his letters, and this is what he says. These are the instructions that he uses. He says, brethren, he says, if any of you. He is speaking to saved, born-again individuals. Now you say, wait a second, you're talking about, uh, he calls them a sinner there in verse 20. Uh, he says they're erring from the truth and, and they won't convert to them. This has nothing to do with eternal salvation. He says, what of you? Born-again, blood-bought souls, fellow believers, fallen Christians who are functioning as sinners. Therefore, we are, we are in the business today, you and I are, to bring them back, to bring them where they need to be. The first thing I want you to notice is you, you may be sitting here this morning going, well, how am I supposed to know someone's falling? Well, absenteeism is one reason, all right? That's, that's, one, that's one little sign real quick. But what source are you going to determine whether a believer is living right or if they've stepped away? The main source that we've always used, beloved, is going to be the truth. Notice what James says. He makes it very clear to us in verse 19. Do err from the truth and one converteth him. Truth is our measuring rod, not our opinions, not our preferences, not what makes us feel right, wrong, or indifferent. Truth will always be the measuring rod to everything. It is the spirit level of our life and the determining factor that if you and I are living right and wrong, not my truth, not your truth, God's truth, and that is the only truth in the world today. Truth is defined as, a, as an absolute standard by which reality is measured. It is not based upon your feelings, but it's based upon facts. Truth is not concerned with how or what you and I feel. It is only concerned with the facts. For those of you with a little gray hair out there today, we can remember the old show called Dragnet. Just the facts, man. Just the facts, man. That's all truth is, is concerned with. Truth does not deal with feelings. Now, truth is, the, is only true. Why is truth, truth true? Truth is only true because God says that is true. In other words, if anything God says, anything that God says is truth. And anyone who disagrees with that in any subject is a lie. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 4 tells us, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Verse 22 says, uh, Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist that denieth the, the Father and the Son. Now verse 22, guys, gives the definition of what a liar actually is. Now I understand we ought not lie to the Holy Spirit. We ought not lie in our life. We shouldn't tell false truths. And I believe a, a half-truth is a whole lie. Amen. Your intentions of what you're saying through the inflection of your voice can make even a true statement a lie. But 1 John 2, 4 tells us that if, if you, you say that you're of God, 
He, he that saith, I know him and keep him not his commandments. You're not obeying the Lord. You're not following what the Lord has told you to do. The Bible says that the truth's not even in you. He calls you a liar. And then turns around and defines a liar, saying that a liar is someone who denies that Jesus Christ, or Jesus is the Christ. That he is the Messiah. You know, there's some good people out there today, some nice people, some kind people. But they deny Jesus Christ as being the Savior of the world. They're lost, guys. You'll never go to heaven unless you accept Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, as Messiah, as God. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20 tells us very clear. If a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10 tells us, He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. What is truth today? Truth is whatever God says is true. It doesn't matter whether we like it or not. It doesn't matter whether we agree with it or not. It only matters that truth is the determining factor of reality. Romans chapter 3 verse 4 says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but, but every man a liar. As it is written, uh, that, uh, that thou meanest, uh, mightest uh, be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. At the end of the day, guys, when one wonders from the truth, they wander away from Jesus Christ. They wander away from who and what our Lord and Savior is. Why? Because Jesus Christ is God. He said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Again, we go back to what is true is whatever God says is true. And then Jesus Christ says himself, I am truth. Amen. So the moment that you and I disagree with God, we are separating from the truth. And unfortunately today, we have believers wandered away from the truth to be accepted by the culture. Too many people want to be popular rather than be, than be strong. Amen. Too many people want to be liked by those or their neighbors and liked by those around. I'm not saying do something so that they don't like you. I'm not saying act a fool. But I am telling you to stand on truth. If I do something stupid, which is common, but if I do something stupid and I make myself look bad and people dislike me because I did something that was wrong, I feel guilty about it. It crawls all over me. It eats at my conscience. I seek the forgiveness of God and repent of it and try to find the people and try to make things right. It, it eats me up a lot. But I'll tell you this. If I'm standing on truth and what the Word of God says and people don't like it, I don't lose an ounce of sleep. Not a drop. Guys, it doesn't bother me one bit. Amen? Because at the end of the day, if I and the Lord are standing alone, I'm still in the majority the apostle said at my first answer, no man stood with me, but the Lord stood with me. Amen. So truth has to be our measuring rod. Truth is our measuring rod as to whether we are living right for God. And truth is the measuring rod when we look out and see a fallen Christian living right for God. There are just things that a child of God puts away and stops doing. I don't think in our group this morning, at least I would hope, I would not have to go through the list of what you ought not be doing. I don't care what culture says, guys. In the, in, in the history uh, of mankind, God has never cared what culture said. He doesn't care, okay? 
And so I'm not going to conform to culture. If you've got a drunken culture, the scripture's not conforming to it. You conform to the Bible, quit trying to rewrite the Bible. Oh, but Jesus Christ's first wedding, he turned the water to wine. You are stupid as you look, man, if you think that, that he turned that into an alcoholic beverage. You are dumber than a bag of hammers. I'm going to tell you that. How can something so pure, so perfect as the Lord Jesus Christ turn something else into rotten, fermented, dead juice? Man, put your common sense helmet on for a second. And just, I mean, think about it. Amen. God doesn't care about culture. He cares about truth. And my friend, here's where we are as a child of God, as a Christian today, as a born-again believer. We're not to conform to the culture. But when we see one of our fellow believers step away from God, begin to live comfortably in the world today, it's our duty to go after them. It's truth that we use as a measuring rod, not our opinions, not our feelings, not our Bible college's list of do's and don'ts. You can chuck those things out with everything else. The main concern of the passage this morning it's not the people who have left the truth. Please understand this. A lot of times we tend to read these verses and we focus on the ones that are erring. That's not who James is addressing. James is not addressing the erring brother or sister. James is not rebuking uh, the sinner that is the saved person who's living like a sinner and is a just. That's not who he's addressing. He's addressing today those who are supposed to be going out there and getting the ones who have left. He's addressing us. How often do you get caught up in the idea of God's blessings in your life? The salvation that he has given you, praise God for it, okay? And then you want your fellow brother and sister, your fellow, sorry, neighbor or, or family member or cousin or class co-worker or classmate, you want them to have that same salvation. I, I hope and pray that you get caught up in that quite a bit. But there's another level of responsibility that we have, and it's toward one another. It's toward supporting one another. It, it, it's toward, you know what, let me put my own little feelings aside for a second because I may have a brother or a sister over here. They stepped away from the truth and they're living like a sinner. The main concern of the passage is for those who have left the truth to turn back again. Notice there in James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, with me even more. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, that means speaking to saved born again believers, and one converted him, let him know that, that he that he which converted the sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. When it says save a soul from death, that's talking about you being a life savior. This is not talking about eternal security or eternal salvation. There was nothing you could do to earn your salvation. Therefore, there was nothing you could do to lose your salvation. But you can lose your life. You say, preacher, doesn't the Lord know everything? The Lord knows everything. But I believe in all of my heart that you can shorten that lifespan by making ill choices in this world today. He'll let you do it. We have a responsibility as a part of the family of God to help someone's life. 
to save someone's life. You know, the term that we typically use for those who have fallen away from the truth is a backslider. Matter of fact, God called Israel a backsliding heifer in the Old Testament. The, the Bible defines a backslider as a Christian who is in a spiritual state where they are knowingly and willingly, consistently pleasing self. That's what a backslider is. Very simple definition. The backslider is a Christian who has adopted a lifestyle of pleading, pleasing self instead of the Lord. Now we can park there a month of Sundays and pick apart the choices we make in our life that may reveal that we are backslidden. Beloved, when this happens, we, those who are not backslidden, if you will, we are to actively be on alert, just like that lifeguard in the stand who's looking back and forth for one of those hands that may pop up like this right here and say, hey, somebody help me. We are to strive to get them to turn back. And I want you to think about it like this, guys. I want you to think about, imagine a loved one. Imagine you're on the phone with a loved one. And they're on the road and whatnot, and, and uh, they make a mistake, and, and all of a sudden they, they turn, they, they get on the wrong turn, they're listening to Google Maps, they're listening to SatNav. The SatNav is just telling them to go, to go, you know, tell them just to keep on going where they're going. And, and fair play, nine times out of ten, when you make a wrong turn, there's a roundabout just up the road, you can turn around, boom, you're, and you get back on the right road in a couple minutes. But imagine with me as you're on the phone with this friend, and their SatNav is telling them to carry on, right? And you just happen to look down on your satin and you and you go to the road that they're on and you see on yours because it's updated that the entire bridge is washed out up front. 200 foot ravine down to the bottom. Let me ask you, what would you do? Would you carry on with the conversation? How's the trees look where you are? Weather nice? Is the sun out? No, you wouldn't. You would beg and plead for them to turn, stop, three-point turn, do whatever was necessary to get them to cease from traveling in the direction that they were heading to a washed-out bridge to plummet to their death. That's what you would do. This is our responsibility for the fallen brother and sister. This is our charge, our duty, if you will, one to another. Using truth to help lead a fellow father, fallen brother a fellow fallen sister to the Lord, so they would turn back from the way of error. But there still remains one key element, one key component in order for us to help our brethren, in order for us to save a life, in order for us to be a rescuer. Remember the example that I just gave you about being on the phone with someone and they're heading down the wrong direction? You were talking with them. Did you catch that? You were talking with them. You are speaking with them. It means you have a relationship with them enough to touch them. To touch them. Brethren, if any, any of you do err from the truth and one converteth him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Beloved, how are we able to touch someone? It means we are close enough to them. In other words, we should be close enough to them that we can notice if one of the cylinders aren't hitting right. You ever had somebody in your life that, that uh, maybe they come into the room and they come into the place, the restaurant, coffee shop, where it may be, and immediately they say, hey man, you okay? 
You all right? Think everything, everything all right with you right now? They just know. Some reason, somehow, some way, they know that you're not just hitting on all cylinders. It doesn't mean that you may be in sin, but sometimes there's just some problems, some issues going on in your life. The fallen brother or sister, beloved, needs to be realigned. They need to be realigned. They need to be brought back to alignment. And we must care enough to get them back. You know what you can call us as, as, a, as, as a church? Not only should we be soul winners, not only should we should be faithful, not only should we be givers and mission support, not a, man, we should be part of the realignment committee, if you will. Looking out there to those brothers and sisters in Christ who have been out of church for 10, 20 years, five years, four years, two years, one year, three weeks, whatever it may be. And go check on them. And go talk to them. And I understand, I understand what you're saying. You're probably thinking right now, oh, well, preacher, I don't want to judge them. You're not judging them. Truth is, you're not calling them anything that they don't already know where they are. You're just bringing the truth back to the forefront. Hey, how come you've been in church? Hey, man, you haven't been in church in years. Hey, why don't you come to my church? Hey, come over here. Let's have a meal together and let's talk about them. You know, those kind of things, close enough, to touch. We are God's realignment committee. And the first thing we should be is close enough. We should be close enough to notice when someone's dipping away from the Lord. Not only should we be close enough, but guys, we should care enough. We should care enough to get involved when, when we see someone dipping away. Caring, guys, is not sitting back talking about them, but caring is getting involved. We are to commit enough to see things through. Until we are told to go away, don't come back. And even then, we are to commit to pray for them diligently. Responsibility to realignment. Guys, it may require you and I to get a little dirty. I'm not talking about with sin, but it's going to require us to get involved. And no matter how many times, guys, no matter how many times I changed oil in my car, and I mean, I'm telling you, I set every precaution known to man up. I got the little oil sheet out. You know, the little oil sheet that would catch the oils. I got the little catcher there. I put my gloves on, a couple different pair of those things. I, I mean, I'm, I'm set, and I pull my little stopper out, and oil would come out, and it would run out, and I put it back in, put the oil back in. When everything was done and said, I still had oil somewhere on my body because I'm getting involved in doing the work. But I got the job done. You may seem a little apprehensive, guys, to perform such great a task. And I, I understand that. task is saving a life. You may be tempted to feel as if you're, you're judging someone. I've already mentioned that. But guys, listen, we are examining someone's life through the lens of Holy Scripture, not through preferences or opinions. So it all comes back to the truth this morning. So what is truth? Well, the Word of God is truth. I'm not going to look at someone and say, well, you know what? In my opinion, I think they should do X, X, Y, Z. In the scripture's view, we all should do X, Y, Z. When we think about the scripture and why it was given to us, I look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, and you can just write it down this morning and we'll be finished. 
But the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. All means all, and that's all all means. The Scripture, guys, there's all 66 books of this Bible. 783,137 words, 3,116,480 letters, comprised of 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. Every, every part of that has been given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine. It teaches us how to get saved. It's profitable for reproof. It means conviction. It'll correct us when we're wrong. You know, it'll reveal to us when we're wrong. And then it'll, it's, it's profitable for correction. It'll get us right. And it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. Not only will it get us right, it'll keep us right, my friend. So our part is this, to be a rescuer. Our part is to look out at a fellow brother and sister in Christ who, man, they're just slipping away for whatever reason. Maybe their own ill choices, maybe some circumstances, situations that came into their life that they are uh, struggling to handle and struggling to bear. Nonetheless, it does not matter the reason why. What it does matter this morning is that we are given a commandment of personal responsibility to take care of one another. I, I, when I preach or I think on this thing right here, I go back to the beginning and I, I look at, at uh, Cain's response to God. After he killed him, after he killed Abel, God came and asked him about him and he said, Am I my brother's keeper? Do you know the answer to that question? Very simple. Yeah, you are. A murderer questioned the fact of whether or not he was responsible for his brother. But James tells us that we are very clearly responsible for one another. person can't lose their salvation, I get that. But we sure can't lose their life by making ill choices. So, brother, let me encourage you today. Perform the duty of a rescuer. If you see a brother or sister in Christ dipping away, stepping away from God, stepping away from the truth, reach out to them. You never know. You may just save their life. Be by your hands this morning. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the time and opportunity. And I pray that you please would take the word and speak to our hearts today. I pray that honor, glory, and praise be given to your name. We just simply ask of you this morning that if you will, continue to guide us and direct us and lead us into the right way. Take this message right upon the table of our heart. In Jesus' name we pray.